0: to you. Merry Christmas. Good to see all of you. My name is Pastor Aaron. Uh, Steve, thank you for reading scripture. Emily, for doing Advent for us. And kids, thank you for all your lovely singing and, and leading us in worship and all that. I realize some of you, your heart may skip a beat when you see that's Pastor Aaron preaching and we have all the kids in service today. I promise we'll keep our comments brief or we will attempt to keep them brief. But if you don't have your Bible already, would you please open to Luke chapter 2, the passage we just read. And before we begin, allow me to pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for this time where we can come before your word. Lord, we thank you that you speak to us through your word. And so, Father, we pray that we would have hearts of humility God, eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, help us to rejoice in this message again, this message of Christmas. And so, Lord, I pray that you give us faith to believe everything that your word tells us. And we pray all this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. It's practically here. Christmas has come. We are just hours away from arguably the best day of the year. And if you're anything like me, you have been listening to Christmas music since September. <laughs> Counting down the days, 164, 163, maybe July. We have our Christmas presents purchased or, or made. And hopefully at this point, they've all been wrapped We are all ready to join in in all the festivities of the holiday. Our trees are beautifully decorated. The cookies are made. I admit that I am a Christmas guy. I have always enjoyed Christmas. I remember growing up, my brothers and I would wake up at an ungodly time of day, maybe four or five in the morning. We would jump on our parents, rush to the Christmas tree to open presents, I have these vivid memories of watching my dad be half awake, falling asleep as he is surprised just as much as we are at the presents that we're opening. (laughs) And I say that my life has gone full circle and that tomorrow the same will happen to me. And I love it. I love Christmas. I love all that comes with it. But as much as I love Christmas and all of the festivities and all of the traditions that families have, I realize that the older I get, that celebrating Christmas at times could be taken for granted. It at times can, even come with certain dangers. That perhaps at times the festivities could become greater than the festival that year in and year out, the traditions begin to somewhat lose their meaning. The traditional Christmas carols that we sing become more nostalgic than actual truth upon our hearts. One of these dangers in our culture when it comes to celebrating Christmas is that we can at times turn the meaning of Christmas simply into a inspirational or sentimental message. In this sort of postmodern world we live in, we can kind of just make Christmas to be whatever we want it to mean. And so maybe we'll hear someone say, "For me, Christmas means that we should be nicer, or that we should be more generous." Another person may pitch in, "Well, well, Christmas for me means that we should enjoy our work and enjoy spending time with family." And you might hear Disney or. Or Hollywood tell you that, that the Christmas spirit is this spirit inside all of us, that we should do good and be nice to those around us. As you see, it's this sort of thin veil of sentimentality, of really just actors in Hollywood giving us motivational speeches, unrealistic to the challenges of the world. Maybe another danger of Christmas is is simply being ignorant of the actual story itself. It's no surprise with the rise of biblical illiteracy that a mom may take her daughter to go see Christmas lights and they they happen to to come across the scene of a manger. And the mom begins to tell her younger daughter, well, the, the angel's name is Gloria, because she sees the name Gloria next to the angel. And maybe she feels really sad for Mary that she had this very unusual birth. And poor Mary, she had to ride a donkey and give birth around some animals. And more than those two comments, most people aren't sure how to give any meaningful contribution to the story of Christmas. But maybe another danger that I hinted at, maybe the danger for most of us in this room, is that we turn the celebrations or the festivities of Christmas To be the good news and the great joy more than the message itself. We no longer marvel and sit amazed at the news of Emmanuel, God with us. We instead find more joy knowing when our next Amazon package arrives. And so with all of this said, this morning I would like for us to consider Luke chapter 2 and really Briefly, I'm not going to be exhaustive in any way. Consider what does the message of Christmas actually mean for us? What does it teach us? And hopefully, by considering these things, we may avoid these dangers. Now, this morning, I will not be doing my typical approach of an expositional sermon. This will be more topical. And if you notice on the screen, it says part one, and that's maybe a good commercial to come back tonight. And Pastor Carl will give us part two. So I'll just be kind of dealing with some of the the background of, of this message and, and Pastor Carl will really get into the meat of the titles. And so really what I'd like for us to spend our time on, and again I'll say briefly, is the three ways we can learn about what Christmas means from our passage. I'm not used to only having one hand. So with that said, let's consider first. The first thing we learn from Luke chapter 2 in this passage is this, that Christmas means that God is faithful to his promises. Do me a favor, look down on your Bible. And kids, this would be a good time to maybe look at your parents' Bible. And if they don't have their Bible out, you tell them to open their Bible. <laughs> in church, we want to look at our Bibles. So in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, we see in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinus was governor of Syria and all went to be registered, each to his own town. Now, if we're being honest, most of us read this and, and we fail to actually see how it has any relevance for us modern readers. This is maybe the part, growing up in church, we would read this passage every Christmas, and i say, yeah, 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 boring, 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 a census. But what exactly is Luke doing here? These gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, nothing they put in their gospel is by accident. Notice how, G- how Luke begins the, the birth story of Jesus. He doesn't couch it in terms of once upon a time, or our story begins. He tells us about a census. He gives real historical leaders. He talks about Caesar Augustus and this governor of Syria. Now, Luke is writing to someone who may be not as familiar with the Old Testament scriptures. Maybe if Matthew was writing the story, he would have said, you know, as it was fulfilled in the prophet Isaiah. But, but what Luke does, that he's, as he's writing to Theophilus, He's trying to get him to think, hey, listen, the birth of Jesus was an actual historical event. It's not something of fairy tales. And really what what, what Luke is trying to show us in these verses is how God was using the current events of the day, working through human leaders, working through all of the nations, to make sure that in the fullness of time at the exact moment— The Messiah will be born and fulfill God's promises. You see, what Luke is trying to show his his original reader and what he's trying to show us is that, that, that the story of Christmas shows that all of the promises of the Old Testament are fulfilled, that God keeps his promises. That in Micah 5, we can read about how the Savior from the line of David would be born in Bethlehem. And so it is here that God works through Caesar Augustus and this unfortunate timing of a census when Mary was pregnant to make sure that none of God's word would be void and untrue. When we consider the current events in our time with Russia and Ukraine, Israel and Hamas, maybe China and Taiwan. What what Christmas shows us is that the Lord has this this big word. He has sovereign power. He works through all of the nations of the world, all of the cultural events to make sure that his word is true. And so for us, what does that mean? What, What does this point mean for you? Well, it means this. That if God was faithful to fulfill what he promised long ago, that he's faithful now, and that he will be faithful to fulfill what he's promised in the future. That the good work that the Lord began in you, he will bring to completion. That that the promise we have of having faith in Christ, the promise of resurrection and eternal life, is a promise we can bank on because of a little baby in a manger in the city of David, that God keeps His promises. Now kids, sometimes your parents may tell you that you're going to go get ice cream." Or they may tell you later, "We may go to the park that, that key word there, the May." And then something may happen. Maybe someone gets sick, or someone gets in trouble. Our plans change. And you might think to yourself, ha, these parents of mine, they promised me something and now we're not getting ice cream like they said. That could be kind of hard sometimes. But here's what I want to tell you, little kids. Your Heavenly Father, God, He's not like, His, like your parents. When He says something, it always comes to pass. You can trust what God says in his word. Because God is faithful to his promises. That's the first thing we see in Christmas. But the second thing we see is that Christmas means that God desires to be known. Now, I'd like to make one quick observation. If you looked just briefly a page over in Luke chapter 1, you know that the Christmas story typically involves Elizabeth. And the birth of John the Baptist. And if you know that story, you know that Elizabeth was well advanced in years. Which some people would say that Elizabeth was maybe 60, 70, 80 years old. Now, you might still hear of it every once in a while, but generally speaking, 80-year-olds do not give birth. More than that, more than that, you hear about a virgin Teenager, giving birth to a son. And now, what we see in in Luke chapter 2, if you do me a favor, verse 8, and in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. So you have an old barren woman, a virgin teenager, and now you have shepherds. And you have to understand culturally, shepherds were not well esteemed. They were marginalized. Most consider them to be less than truthful. Their word would never go in, in, in a court of law. They, they were seen to be the people on the outskirts of town. And, and you kind of are getting this picture already, just in the first two chapters of Luke, about how God does not work the same way the world does. He uses those who are unlikely. He uses those in the world would say there's no hope. Who would put the hope of the gospel in the hands of a teenager? Or who would declare the birth of the good news and great joy to those who society says have no esteem? The Lord does. And so we see this, this picture of how God he comes to these shepherds, to those who the society would have no desire for. And, and, he, and he sends this, this theophany, an angel of the Lord, and, and there's this great multitude of angels. And it's as if God is, is giving the ultimate birth announcement. Here, look, here is my son. I'm keenly aware that I, when I walked up here, I had no introduction. No one gave me some royal title as I walked into this room. But imagine Angels and multitudes of them proclaiming your birth. You know, when you teach a kid how to play hide-and-go-seek, it's, it's really cute because they so desperately want to be found, right? You teach a three-year-old how to play hide-and-seek, you tell them, hey, go in that room, hide under a blanket, hide in your closet, and stay hidden. And if you count to ten and you walk in the room, And the second they hear you walk in the room, they say, here I am. (laughs) And you're like, no, no, you're supposed to stay hidden. And you do it again, and and they just can't help themselves. They, They so desperately want to be found. And it's as if God here so desperately wants to be found. He sends angels to declare the birth of his son. Here it is, my son, my one and only son. God wants to be known. And so I would say if you're here this morning and maybe the holidays bring feelings of maybe loneliness or maybe this year you've struggled with rejection, embarrassment, Christmas should encourage you because the God of the universe wants you to know him. He wants you to know just how much he desires for you to come and have a relationship with him. And so God here, he, he's just beaming with joy, sends these angels because he knows that, that, that without this person, this little baby, we would be in utter darkness. You see, God must reveal himself to us. If God did not come down from heaven and speak from heaven to tell us of what he was like, we as a human race would be lost in endless speculation of what we think God would be like. You still hear it today. People say, well, I think that God is like, fill in the blank. Well, well, I think that God is like, but friends, we don't have to guess what God is like. And that little baby, God has said, here, this person, Jesus Christ, he makes me known. This is why we read in Hebrews chapter 1, the very first verse of Hebrews 1, long ago at many times and many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he created the world. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. If you want to know what God is like, look to his son. Because he is literally the exegesis of God. He is the one who makes the Father known. Christmas shows us that God is not playing some game of cosmic hide-and-go-seek. He wants to be known. And he has revealed himself clearly through the person of Jesus Christ. And he reveals it to people who you would least expect. Lastly, Christmas means that God provides for his people. That God provides for his people. Now I'd like to make this point by by using the observation of proportion. If you notice with me for a second, the rest of the Luke story, you know, you have these angels, you have, you know, this glorious verse in 14, glory to God in the highest. The, the, the shepherds come, they, they, they sit amazed, Mary treasures it up in her heart, verse 19, you know, they leave, verse 21, Jesus gets circumcised. But, but notice with me, this idea of uh, this principle of proportion is simply just noticing what does the authors seem to emphasize? So there's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's quite interesting. Mark and John really have no interest at all of telling you about the birth account of Jesus. Matthew gives you some. But really, right here in Luke chapter 2 is the longest birth account we have of the Lord Jesus. And it's as if the Gospel writers are saying, you know, it's important that you know a little bit about the birth, but what's more important? As you read through the Gospels, you actually see a lot about Jesus' life, his ministry, his miracles, his teaching. But then it seems to really laser focus in on and gives a lot of detail about Jesus' trial, his crucifixion, his subsequent resurrection. It's as if the Gospel writers are saying, what's really important is not that Jesus came and with a baby in a manger but what's really important is that you know that jesus he came to die that the reason jesus christ condescended into humanity and forever took on flesh was not simply to give us a good moral example it was not simply to give us a good motivational speech at the end of the year or to teach us how to party or have presents. The message of Christmas shows us how God ultimately is providing for his people. Jesus Christ came into this world in order that he may die for his people's sins. As the angel declares to the father of Jesus, you shall name him Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. And so Christmas shows us ultimately that God is a God who is... Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides, the Lord who provides. He provides what we can't provide for ourselves, And that is a savior from sin. I think when it comes to Christmas, we sort of like the, the baby in a manger. We can sort of handle a baby. You know, it's cute, cuddly, We sing songs that kind of deify the humanity of Jesus, no crying he makes. I'm sure he never had a bad diaper either. (laughs) A baby in a manger is sort of kind of like God in a box. It's controllable. Let's talk about the inspirational humility of Jesus. So as much as we like a baby in a manger, I think we struggle with a man lying naked hanging, bruised, and dying on a tree. And so if we want to remember Christmas, we have to remember that ultimately the reason we celebrate the birth of Christ is because it necessitates his work of going to the cross. The real meaning of Christmas is remembering that God has provided a way for us to be redeemed and have peace with God because of our sin. And so if you're here this morning, maybe you're visiting, maybe you're someone who maybe has made a profession of faith, but you've maybe found yourself backslidden a little bit. Maybe, maybe you like Christmas, you like the holidays, you like being with family, you like presents. I just want to encourage you that to truly keep Christmas, to truly celebrate the holiday, is to recognize that you need to receive Christ. That you need to understand that you have a great need. You need someone to provide for you. And that need is your sin. That your sin, because you have rebelled against God, you have incurred judgment from him. And the only way that that can be provided is to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we want to encourage you, if you were here this morning, you are not a Christian, or, or maybe, again, you're someone who has maybe made a profession of faith, but, but your life doesn't actually appear to look like a Christian. We want to encourage you that, that the way you respond to the gospel message of what Christ has done is not simply to have intellectual assent, but it's to receive Christ. By believing that it is only his work on the cross that can provide Atonement for your sins. And that you would turn from your sins in repentance. I pray that this morning you wouldn't leave unless you talk to somebody about what it means to receive Christ. And for those of us who are believers, hear me clearly. Presents are nice. Parties are wonderful. My family will play many a Christmas games tomorrow. I truly hope that you have a wonderful and merry Christmas. But may we avoid the dangers around Christmas. That we somehow make the festivities greater than the festival. That we just turn Christmas into a mere sentiment of tradition. No, let us remember that God has been faithful to his promises. That since God was faithful in the past, he will be faithful in the future. That because Christ came in his first coming, we can have confidence in his second coming. Let us remember that we can actually know God. And that he has revealed himself through the person of Jesus Christ. And ultimately, believers, let us remember the God we serve is Jehovah Jireh. He is the one who provides. He is the one who has provided our greatest need. A savior. From our sins. And so, if I could put maybe a nice little bow, a nice little Christmas bow on what I believe Luke is telling us about Christmas, here's what I would say Christmas shows us God's sovereign plan to provide a Savior for His people. I know there's a lot of catchy songs and a lot of movies about this is what Christmas means to me, but biblical Christianity. Teaches us that Christmas, the reason why we can have peace, joy, love, and hope is because God provided Christ to be a savior from our sin. And so church, may it be the message we proclaim all year round. May we go tell it on the mountain to anyone who will listen that our God has sovereign power and is the God who provides. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the message of Christmas. God, that you want to be known. That you have given us the very best gift of all, the Lord Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray that this morning your people will remember that the gift is the giver. That to have salvation in Christ, to be forgiven of our sins, God, there is no greater circumstance we can have And so, Father, I do pray that we would be like the shepherds who returned home glorifying God and telling those who would listen. Help us, Lord, to see that you are a covenant-keeping God who is faithful to his word. Help us to trust you. We pray all this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.